Let me ask you to turn to Acts chapter 22. Let's pray together. What awesome words, Lord, we have just uttered from our unworthy lips. And yet you are worthy. You alone are worthy to be praised. Because of who you are and what you have done for us. Will you, Lord, in these moments, enable us to behold you, to adore you, to know you deeper and better, and to love you more? Will you enable us to do that? Will you? That's what we ask for in Jesus' precious name. Amen. For some of you, you're fairly new to the church. For some of you, this is your first time here. Welcome. We are really glad that you are here to worship with us. And I want to do this. I want to let you in on a little insight, a window into knowing our congregation. Now, I I promise you, you'll meet a number of them probably today. It's hard to sneak in and out of St. Andrews, and that's a good thing. But here's what I want to tell you about our folks. If, if we were to go around the room today and ask each one, we're not, don't worry, we're not going to do this, okay? But if we went through the whole room and ask each one, will you stand up and tell us how you came to know Christ? We would have some... Not this exact testimony, but something like this. It was June 28th, 1995, 8.04 in the evening, (laughs) and I was sitting by a campfire at the camp where I had been that whole week. It had been 93 degrees that day. The mosquitoes were as big as my hand. And I was feeling a little woozy from the smoke, but the message that Brother Billy Bob had just preached in our evening worship had spoken to my heart. And I knew 
that I needed to pray the sinner's prayer. And I prayed, dear Jesus, will you be my Lord and Savior? Now, if that's exactly yours, it's not because I knew about it. And I want to make sure you understand I'm not making fun of that testimony. Knowing all of the details of every single thing as if it had just happened. And then we would ask the next person, tell us how you came to know Christ. And they would say, I don't remember. I I can't remember. I just know that I'm trusting in him alone. And it was a, a, some kind of a process where at one point I didn't know him and then I realized I had a relationship with him. So you have the, the, the one end where they couldn't tell you the date or the exact time and the other end where they know exactly and the whole gamut in between. And no two in this room would be exactly alike. They just wouldn't be. Even if two people came to Christ at the same event, they wouldn't be identical testimonies. Because here's what I want you to know, and it's not just about our congregation. God deals with individuals individually. That sounds so obvious, right? But it's a fact. He deals with all of us individually, no two exactly the same. That's the exciting news. When I hear the testimonies of new people that come to join our church It is so exciting to see the various ways that God has worked in hearts. And I could never predict it. That's how God works. Now, I know that many of you, if not most of you, want to be able to tell others about Christ. But there's also many of you that would say, you know, I, I just don't feel qualified. What if they ask me a question? What if they ask, you know, well, if you explain why the Philippines was hit with this big disaster, you know, I, I wouldn't know how to answer that. And so some are timid because you feel like I'm just not really equipped. Here's the other good news. If you're trusting in Christ alone for your eternal life, you are equipped because you have a story. And today, we're going to to look at the story that Paul tells of his conversion. And I want you to understand in terms of, uh, you know, some of you have been here and you know we're going through the book of Acts, so you, you kind of remember, but it's hard to Hard to know exactly what's been going on, but uh, uh, what had 
taken place is that uh, Paul had been dragged off. He had been speaking. He was in Jerusalem, and he got uh, arrested. And uh, he said, look, before, before you put me away, will you let me speak one more time? Now, I'm convinced that Paul, for all he knew, that was the last time he was ever going to speak publicly. It didn't turn out that it was. But he didn't know that. And so the question is, if he's making his final message, presenting his final message to a group of people, what is he going to say? And this, what we look at today, is uh, what he chose to say. <coughs> now, I'm not going to read it all at once. I'm going to divide it up into sections because of the length of the passage. But I want you to, uh, to notice how it begins. He says, brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. So in the preceding verses, he's being persecuted. He thinks this could be the end. He asks for permission to, to speak, and they say, well, you know, what could it hurt? And so they let him, and he addresses them in this way. Now, he uses the word here, the defense. That word in the Greek, normally I, I don't tell you what the Greek word is, but when it sounds like the English, it sometimes helps us understand. That word in the Greek is apologia. You get it? What's it sound like? Apology. Or the theological discipline that has to do with it is apologetics. Now, we need to understand that the word defense is a better way to translate it rather than to think in terms of an apology, which would be more like, oh, I've done something wrong, so I'm going to back up, and I'm going to make that right. That's not what this word is. This word is defending the faith. Last week, I don't know if you knew, but I wasn't here. I don't, I, did you? Anyway, I... It was a good week, I heard. Uh, I was up at uh, the Global Missions Conference up in Greenville, and Sunday morning, uh, Ravi Zacharias spoke. Now, Ravi Zacharias is one of, if, if not the foremost Christian apologist, defenders of the faith. He goes all over the world. He couldn't even remember what state, he, you know, he said he had just texted somebody that morning and said, yeah, I'm in Greenville, North Carolina. You know, he can't, can't, can't remember where he is. He's got handlers, you know. That's how it works. But if you were to ask Ravi Zacharias, I didn't get to ask him because there was thousands of people there. So I looked up what his answer to this is. If you said, what is apologetics? Here's his answer. He says, according to the American Heritage Dictionary, which I could have looked up myself, but that's how he starts out, 
Apologetics is formal argumentation in defense of something such as a position or system. And then he goes on to say, a Christian apologetic is not an apology, as we usually use the term, that is to say you're sorry for something. We use the word apology in the sense that we give a defense of the Christian faith. Now, where else is that in the New Testament? The, the most prominent place, 1 Peter 3.15. I'll just read it to you. You can feel free to look it up, but it says this. Uh, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense, apologia, make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Do you get it? You know, when, when people wonder, how, well, how come you're hopeful in the middle of all this? Be ready to give an answer. Now, I would further uh, identify apologetics on two levels. This is all background, but stay with me here. On two levels. One would be theological apologetics. And this isn't the formal way they divide up. This is just me trying to describe it. That would be, for instance, when Paul in uh, 1 Corinthians 15 talks about the resurrection, where he Uh, describes the proofs of the resurrection uh, in order to show that this really happened. And he lays them out. That's apologetics. And that's the one level, the theological apologetics. There's another level. And that is what I would call personal. And that's what we're going to look at today. And that is defending and explaining one's own faith experience. So let's look at at Paul's uh, way he presented it today. And really, he shares three phases. If you've ever learned to give your testimony, you might have been told to do it this way. This is what, what Paul does. He talks about before he met Christ, when he met Christ, and since he met Christ. That's the easiest way to tell your story. First of all, before he met Christ. Verse 2, he says, uh, and when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, uh, they became even more quiet. You know, before we get into his actual apologetic, I want you to notice, uh, you know, back in, in 1 Peter 3, it said, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Well, that's what Paul does here, addressing them in the Hebrew language. Why was that showing respect? Well, up to that point, they probably were talking in Greek and so on. He sees who he's talking to, and he says, I'm going to speak to them in their own language. And what that did is the crowd began to quiet down, but when they heard he was speaking in their language, they got even quieter. And notice, notice what he says. He says, fathers and brethren, fathers and brethren, Now, 
around here, we don't say that a lot. In fact, I don't think I've ever addressed you that way. You've probably never addressed me that way. We don't. But there is a context that you will hear that often. And that is, if you were to go to a presbytery meeting, which is a, the gathering of the churches in a region, ours we call the Palmetto Presbytery, mostly South Carolina, and we gather and we do business. Uh, or if you were to go to our General Assembly that meets once a year, uh, guys will stand up and when they address the group, more often than not, they will say this, fathers and brethren. It's a term of respect, endearment, the brethren part. You know, it's saying, fathers, you who are older, and brothers, you who are my contemporary or even younger. Connie reminds me I used to be a brethren, now I'm a father. and <laughs> It's okay, it's true. But that, that's, that's what that term is. So he is presenting this with gentleness and respect as he seeks to defend his faith. And then he starts to talk about his past. He says this, verse 3, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. You see, he's, he's granting that to them. You're all zealous for God. He's not blaming them. He's you know, not saying your guys are you know, doing me wrong or anything. You're all zealous for God. Verse 4, I persecuted this way, capital W, meaning the gospel, the Christians. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women as the high priest and the whole council of the elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. So, he starts out by talking about his past. Now, I want you to notice this, though. He doesn't go into a lot of gory detail about his past, does he? He, he talks in generalities. It's, it's specific enough that they know who he is. They know what he has done. But he doesn't go into great detail, and he doesn't spend a lot of time on that. Now, some of you hear the testimony of someone who's lived a notorious, sin-filled life, and nobody ever admits this, but some of you, you think, wow, I wish I had that testimony. That's powerful. You know, and you hear all the stuff that they did, and they spend 90 minutes on that, and one minute on, you know, how they came to Christ. That's not what, what he does here. Is it? One of our missionary friends likes to begin her testimony. God saved me from a life of sex and drugs and rock and roll at the age of four. And then, you know, <laughs> and it's, you know, it illustrates that we all 
you know, some of us want to have that big testimony behind us. But friends, if you, if you didn't have to go through all that, if God, by His grace, spared you from going through that kind of a life, thank God and praise Him every day that you don't have to deal with guilt and baggage and all of those things. And pray that that will be the testimony of your children that they didn't go through all of that. I don't know anyone who lived their life before Christ and in a sin-filled life that would wish it on anyone else. I've never met anyone who would do that. In Ukraine, we have a a dear friend. Anyone who's been over there knows uh, Vitaly. He kind of now works on the building, the church building of the church that we partner with. He's an elder in that church. But when you first see him, the first time I ever saw him, um, I thought... He looks like a Russian soldier. You know, that was his, what he looked like. You stick a uniform on him, and you would have been terrified by the look on his face. And in fact, he was a Russian soldier. And he had been a Russian soldier when they went into Afghanistan, when they invaded Afghanistan, and it was just a slaughterhouse for the Russians. No telling what he saw. The first time I heard his testimony six or years or so ago, I still remember clearly him saying, starting his testimony this way, I won't talk about the first 45 years of my life without God. And I thought to myself, how eloquent. He had just said it all. You could imagine, because of knowing him, the kinds of things he had experienced. But he went on from there to talk about what God had done and was doing in his life from then on. What a beautiful Apology, apologetic testimony he gave. So it starts with, though, my life before Christ. And then Paul goes on to describe when he met Christ. So we read in verse 6. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. 
And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken by all the Jews who lived there, came to me standing by me and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, to hear a voice from his mouth. For you'll be a witness for him to everyone of what you've seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. This is the most descriptive passage about his actual conversion. Um, what, what we have in earlier description was by Luke, who was saying this is what happened when Saul was converted. Here, Paul is saying, this is what I heard. And he heard things nobody else did. He saw things <clears throat> nobody else did. So we have the specifics of his experience. Now, what we need to notice is that it was completely initiated by God. God blinded him. God spoke to him. God commanded him. God had prepared those to to help him. God restored his sight, and God told him what he wanted him to do. Now, you don't have that exact experience. Some of you may have a more dramatic experience. And some of you, an experience with less drama. God saves individuals individually. Whatever your experience is, is the one he chose for you to share with others. Now that brings us to the third part of his personal apologetic or his testimony. And I'm, I'm interchanging those, testimony or personal apologetic. And that is since he met Christ, this brief, last brief section, verse 17. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was uh, praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and I saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they'll not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another I am prison, and I beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. That was going to be his mission. But notice the reaction. Up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. Now he has his mission. We talked about Paul, the great apostle. You might say, well, well, that's okay. He, he's an apostle. Of course he can share those kinds of things. I want you to think for a moment about another who would have said, like I said this morning, 
Some of you may be feeling, I'm not equipped to share my testimony. And that is the man born blind. He had been blind from birth. Jesus heals him, which upsets others. And then those others who were upset say to the man born blind, well, this man's a sinner, isn't he? Here was his answer. Whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. Right? He said, you asking me these big theological questions? I don't know. Oh, wait a minute. There's one thing I do know. I've never seen anybody or anything before, and now I can. That's my story, he would say. Several things about these two extremes. In Paul and in the man born blind, it was personal. The testimony, the apologetic was personal. This is what happened to me. And you know what? Nobody can question that. They they might not agree with it. They might get upset by it. They might say you're crazy, but you're saying "This this is my, what happened to me. And then it was experiential. This is my experience. This is what I heard. This is what was said to me. This is what I said. And then thirdly, and this is, this is essential, it, both, for both of them, it was theologically accurate. So for Paul, he had a lot more to say. For the man born blind, they ask him a theological question. He doesn't know the answer to that. He's not going to go there. But what he said was theologically accurate. And that's important. You know what? We, we shouldn't delve into getting into the mind of God, why He worked in us when He did, why He uh, you know, led us here or there. We don't know those things. Say what you know and stop there. They stuck with what they knew. But look at the reaction of the people. And this, I, I have to add this part in. They wanted to kill him. Don't ever presume that just because you've shared a sincere and true testimony or apologetic that people are going to like it or that they're going to accept it. Don't ever assume that. In fact, be ready for the other. They said, he shouldn't be on this earth. He should be dead. You see how powerful the testimony was? It was his story. And they couldn't handle it. 
but it's up to the Spirit of God to work and to use it in the lives of the others. And by the way, they didn't receive the, the testimony of the man born blind either. They were mad. We say in St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church's Vision 2017, our desire is for every member of SAPC, St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church, to be a witness and to share Christ with those who are without him or to whom he has become distant. That's, that's one of the things we, we say we want our church to be. If you're in Christ, you're equipped to do that. You are equipped because you have a story. However he chose to save you is the powerful story, not of you, but of what he did in your life. I want to challenge you to do one thing. Just one thing. Ask God to give you an opportunity to share your personal apologetic with someone this week. Now, I've got to warn you. He usually answers that, that uh, prayer, yes. But I want to challenge you to pray that prayer. Now, you may, have to, you may have to look, look for it. I remember the first time I was challenged to, uh, uh, to do that, to every day pray that I can share, share a word of truth. I still remember this because I was so convicted afterwards. I was praying that prayer, and I pulled into a bank, and I was on my way to, um, back to you know, the church I was working in at the time. And I got back in my car, and I, I started to head out, and I saw someone walking toward my car, and I could tell that he was a cult member. I could tell by what he was carrying and so on. And so because I, I didn't really have a lot of time to deal with him, and I thought, I don't want to deal with this, I kind of rolled up my window, and I got back to, I went back to church, you know. And I thought, oh, oh. I asked God to give me an opportunity. And he sent somebody walking toward my car. I had to run away from the answer to that prayer. So if you pray that prayer, keep your eyes open and be willing to just, you don't have to to share a 20-minute testimony, share a word of truth. This is all I know. Once I was blind, but now I can see. That you can share. God loves to answer that prayer. Will you pray it? Let's bow together. Lord, even in praying, that prayer, it it can be scary. I, I know. And yet that's where trusting you comes in as well. Because, Lord, what we, just, what we just saw, what we just figured out is that you have already equipped us, not to answer every question in the world, but to share simply, humbly, gently, respectfully share a word of truth.
a defense of our faith. Will you give us the boldness to ask you to give us an opportunity? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.